There should be a lot of people angry about this. Join us to go behind the scenes of Northern Ireland's landmark climate court case. You know, every time you read about it, you just wanted to run outside and grab the next person you saw and say, did you know about this? You'll discover how a dangerous air quality failing has been allowed to continue for 17 years. I think that's it. It, it was just a sense of, oh my goodness, we can't just accept. That is an answer. And meet the community of campaigners and lawyers who are going to court to stop it. This is Holding Our Breath, a new podcast miniseries from the Public Interest Litigation Support Project. Involuntary. It's one of those words that has several meanings. It can mean carrying out an action without thinking. An automatic, unconscious response, like breathing, for example. We all take approximately 25,000 breaths a day. That's according to Asthma and Lung UK's research. It's not based on my own counting. That's incredible when you think about it. Which brings me to the second meaning of involuntary, describing something that's mandatory. If something is involuntary, it's obligatory, compulsory. You don't get a choice, it must be done. Much like, for example, the duty that the government have to check the emissions of all diesel cars and make sure they're within safe levels for us to breathe in. That's a legal requirement. It must be done. But what if I told you that the test designed to check these emissions wasn't being carried out in Northern Ireland? That we were all breathing in untested diesel emissions? And now what if I told you that test hasn't been carried out for 17 years? That's incredible when you think about it. The story I'm about to tell you is what happens when both of these definitions of involuntary collide. My name is Emma Cassidy and I work with the Public Interest Litigation Support Project in Belfast. Why am I telling you this story in the first place? Well, we are Northern Ireland's legal project dedicated to helping local NGOs and legal professionals to build public interest litigation. These are life-changing legal cases that create positive impact not just for one person, but for communities across Northern Ireland. We're sharing this podcast mini-series with you in autumn 2023, as PILS prepare to support Friends of the Earth Northern Ireland in a court case against Northern Ireland's Department for Infrastructure. This legal challenge also involves the Northern Ireland Commissioner for Children and Young People, and a legal team that are so committed to the cause that they have been working pro bono, for free, for years. So how did all of us get ourselves into this position? How did we all get here? Well, to fully explain that, we need to jump back in time. Twice. Come on, Belfast was the home of a certain DeLorean time machine, after all. We can use a bit of poetic license. Picture the scene. It's 2006. The social media platform, formerly known as Twitter, had just freshly hatched. Pluto was downgraded from a planet to a dwarf. 
and the vehicle testing regulations came into force in Northern Ireland. Okay, so you might not remember exactly where you were when the last of those 2006 milestones happened, but the regulations introduction had a knock-on effect for the Ministry of Transport test, otherwise known as the MOT. This is an annual rite of passage for motorists across the UK, generally inspiring about as much excitement as a trip to the dentist, because, like a dental checkup, you know the MOT will potentially be painful and will probably be expensive. In Northern Ireland, unlike the rest of the UK, the test is carried out at a network of designated testing centres, not just a local garage. And according to the official government services website, NI Direct, an emissions check is the first thing that happens when you turn up to the test centre with your car. Also on that website is a long list of the wide variety of diesel-powered vehicles that are inspected with a smoke meter. I'll let you listen to this, we'll speed it up a bit. The smoke emitted from all diesel-engined heavy goods vehicles and buses, including rigid goods vehicles, articulated goods vehicles, road construction vehicles, tower wagons, breakdown vehicles, motor tractors, mobile cranes, display vehicles, large passenger-carrying vehicles, omnibuses and playbuses, is assessed for its density. It is carried out by the use of an approved and calibrated smoke meter. But do you know what's missing from that list? Cars. Petrol engine cars are mentioned in a later section on NI Direct, but not diesel cars. And why is that such a big deal? Because in Northern Ireland, we have a lot of diesel cars. It's 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 as simple as like the fact that there are, I think, half a million diesel cars in Northern Ireland. Could be a bit more. A lot of diesel cars in Northern Ireland. We actually rely on diesel vehicles much more than the rest of the UK. I've got a kind of disproportionately higher rate of diesel car usage. And everybody's required by law for a state-run MOT test. And that is where you turn up to a big hangar and they test your car. And one of those tests is an emissions test. Everybody else gets it done in the UK. Um, in Europe, globally, it's, it's like the very kind of basic test to make sure that your car isn't a walking health hazard. This might sound like dare I say it, a bit of a dreary subject. But please, stick with me, because now we're jumping forward to 2018. BBC Northern Ireland's flagship investigations programme, Spotlight, is promoting its latest episode called The Dirty Dozen. It's presented by journalist Connor Spackman. And when this programme is broadcast in September 2018, it drops a bombshell. And we find out through a spotlight investigation, um, investigative journalism piece, that that, that that test had been stopped in 2006 for every diesel car in Northern Ireland and had never ever been resumed. So no diesel vehicle in Northern Ireland has been checked to see if it's, you know, harmful in any way. You heard that right. The legally required emissions tests for all diesel cars in Northern Ireland was stopped in 2006 and never restarted. And in autumn 2018, around the same time that the Spotlight programme was aired, renowned environmental campaign group Friends of the Earth were recruiting for their first lawyer to be based in Belfast. I mean, I had been in private practice for... 
number of years, I'll not say how much, but um, I'd kind of got the hang of it. And I realized what, like you spent the first five years of your, since qualifying, kind of panicking, kind of getting to grips with everything that you need. And then after that time, you kind of understand that there is a rhythm to day-to-day private practice, especially if you're in a niche area, which I was. And uh, I just wanted a bit more. I felt like I was stuck in a place and I had this kind of moment of like, oh my goodness, is this it? Is this, is this what I do until I retire? That is Laura Neal. She's a qualified solicitor and in 2018, she was looking for something new. I know like the job that I'm qualified to do and the immense privilege that I've got to do that job is fantastic. But day-to-day practice of law is rewarding in some aspects but it can also be quite mundane and I just felt like I never really fitted the mold like I wasn't really good at running around in massive high heels and power suits and stuff and it just wasn't my vibe um and then I had a friend who was an academic lawyer um and she was heavily involved in the environmental movement she she worked for a university and she said there's a job at Friends of Earth you should apply my first reaction was sure what I know about that stuff and she was like, no, you should apply because it's practice in law. It's it's but it's a different, you know, different type of dynamic. Like, I think it would suit you. Just trust me. And to be honest, on the day the application was closing, I still hadn't applied. <laughs> it might have been a bit last minute, but Laura did apply for that Friends of the Earth vacancy. Spoiler alert. She got the job. Um, you know, obviously I was very interested in the area of climate justice and all that sort of stuff, but it wasn't that far advanced that that time at that time, five, six years ago. Um and kind of mixing in with that community of that environmental justice movement and Friends of the Earth and, and finding out what they were all about as an organization on the one hand was so thrilling because I wanted to be out of my depth, but I was out of my depth and it was terrifying. <laughs> and terrifying as it was, her vision for the role was still crystal clear. So I just reached for kind of what I knew how to do, which was pull together litigation. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, okay, it's going to take me a while to understand all the themes and key issues and what motivates people within this community. And it's so diverse and it's so wonderful and vibrant, but I'm going to do what I know how to do. And that's practice law. And that's, that's exactly what happened. Now, Friends of the Earth weren't the only people watching that episode of Spotlight. One member of the public in particular was so worried about the effects that the emissions could be having on children that they emailed Nikki. Well, we, um, we're a statutory body and we're set up to, to promote and safeguard children's rights. And we would get a lot of emails into our info line from our website on a wide range of issues and they can be quite random at times. Nikki isn't a person. It's shorthand for the Northern Ireland Commissioner for Children and Young People. Alex Tennant is their policy manager. That's whose voice you're hearing now. So um, one came through in relation to um, a a BBC programme that this member of the public had watched on the fact that there was legislation in 2006 requiring government to ensure that all diesel cars, the emissions of all diesel cars were checked when they were MOT'd and this had not, this still was not being done in Northern Ireland. And this was 2019 so it was 13 years on. And so that was obviously quite horrifying and quite striking. Nikki wrote to the Department for Infrastructure, setting out its concerns and asked for a meeting. 
what its staff heard at that meeting was stark, to put it mildly. And they clarified that they had been breaching the legislation for the previous 13, 14 years at that point. Um, They explained that they had started um, requiring MOT centres to do this test, but after a few weeks, the um, people working in the centres had raised um, health and safety concerns and they had then stopped the testing. Just to be clear, we aren't for a second suggesting that the MOT centre staff should be put at risk. Not at all. What we are saying is that everyone in Northern Ireland was supposed to be protected from these diesel emissions, whether they were inside or outside the test centres. But there is an irony there where you think you're not testing these harmful fumes because they are so harmful for your staff but it's fine just to let them go. You know, which is it? Like either they're not polluting and you don't need to do the test, it's insignificant and therefore it doesn't pose a risk to your staff or they are incredibly dangerous and it does pose a risk to your staff. So which one is it? And it's our understanding that they just stopped the testing. They didn't explore alternative ways of addressing this within the centres. And we're not aware of any study that was done to see if there were ways of ventilating the centres or having the cars in a certain location within the centres or outside the centres to allow this to continue. Um, It sounded, as we understood, that it just had been stopped. Um, And it was just that, that type of, like, that, the audacity of it, you know, and then to admit it, not once to Nikki, but twice to us to admit it on TV, you know, to, to have like a very open kind of conversation. Yeah, we're not doing it and we have no intention of reintroducing it because the rationale is that it would cost too much to update our MOT infrastructure. But that's not the point, is it? Like this is public interest. This should be this should be something that affects everybody. There should be a lot of people angry about this. I've spoken to Laura and asked her how she started to weave all these elements together to create a strong, coherent legal challenge. Yeah, it, it is something we had looked into. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to my time, I, I know that some of our interns who are fantastic in London had reviewed what law had been breached and had done a bit of research into the, the whole issue, the background. But I think that was largely to kind of, kind of empower us to speak authoritatively when we were asked for comment. And that's what Alex from Nikki had seen. So she saw James Orr from Friends of the Earth um, speaking about how deplorable this issue was, that it had, it had gone on so patently, so obviously, for so long. I think that's it. it. It was just a sense of, oh my goodness, we can't just accept that as an answer. Um, but at that point, it, it, uh, we weren't clear what um, other responses we could have other than to say, well, just to be clear, this is not acceptable. So I think that's why you know I then reached out to Laura because Friends of the Earth were mentioned in the in the original article that I'd read and Laura arranged um, to meet and have a chat over coffee about what we might do about this. And tell me what you got about that coffee because this sounds like a very important cup of coffee in the scheme of this entire case. <laughs> um, so it was just a case of lifting the phone at the right time and I was like, let's chat. And we met for a coffee and yeah, the rest is kind of history really but it was as simple as that um and it's just that connection from one person saying i think this is terrible do you agree and i was saying yeah and then it was like well let's try and do something about it
So it was good just to be able to sit down and talk it through and to see that Friends of the Earth felt very strongly about this as well. And um, yes, sort of give a bit of um, hope that we could take a further action because at that point it just seemed to be that that was the end of that was the end of the conversation and it really wasn't a very acceptable end, you know. So um, it was great to get chatting to Laura and to see that Friends of the Earth was actively looking to see um, if they could take a legal challenge in relation to this. Can you feel the strands all being tied together? Now we have a long-running testing failure injected with the oxygen of a high-profile TV expose, the Children's Commissioner and a lawyer on the lookout for a ripe legal challenge. We're going to hear more from Alex and her colleagues at Nikki later in the series. For now, it's time to build that case. And that's where Pills join the story. And so when you've got all those pieces, got the kernel of the case, you've found the hook to make people go, why should I care? It's not just an MOT case. So what do you do then? Because that still feels like there's quite a lot to push back against you know you're looking at over a decade at that stage nearly two decades now of just complete intransience and admitting you know as you say there in black and white so what what was the next step for you oh the next step for me was to to hold the space so we had an admission to nikki but we didn't have an admission to friends of the earth and if we were going to take some action which i wanted to do we needed something to us so I, my first thing was I'm going to write a letter, pretty much the same as what Nikki had done, saying, I can't believe you're not doing this, please do it. And got the same response. We have stopped in 2006, we have no intention of starting again, something like that. We're aware of the concerns, blah, blah, blah. But I, once I had that, I was like, right, we're in the game now. And then I went to Pills. If you've been on the Pills website at any point, you might have seen reference to our pro bono register. So the Pills Pro Bono Register is an initiative run and managed by our project that's designed to encourage the growth of pro bono work among the legal community in Northern Ireland. And this means that we can connect local human rights organisations to a solicitor, barrister or legal academic who's willing to share their expertise for free. We'll pop a link to that in the show notes. And it was this extra legal backup that Laura found really useful. Best will in the world. Like I would love to march into a court on my own and wave bits of paper around and say that I've got a case. But you need a whole team. You know, one person just can't do it. I am a lawyer and I'm a lawyer because I am no good at science. And it's not just that default, like if you can't do science, you do law. But it kind of is a little bit. And <laughs> um, whenever I was trying to scope out the law, on vehicle testing, the law on air quality, the law on biodiversity and, and all that sort of stuff that's out there. I was met with a wall, like a periodic table of chemicals that air pollution is an incredibly techy area and I needed to get my head around it and I needed help. So I went straight to pills and they put me in touch with um, one someone from their pro bono register, Aidan McGowan, um, a barrister who wrote an opinion. A legal opinion is more than just a hunch or somebody's hot take in the pub on a Friday night. In the legal world, an opinion is a written document where a legal professional, it's usually a barrister, examines a legal matter, provides their own analysis 
and gives their indication of the possible legal solutions open to whoever asked for the opinion and how likely it is that any of those solutions would be successful if it ever went to court. So Pills connected Laura with local barrister Aidan McGowan through our pro bono register. Like he got one hell of a brief. Like, <laughs> like I kind of felt sorry for him because it was like, here's kind of what I think's going on here. Off you go. <laughs> and I'm sure he thought, what have I signed up to? Um, and I'm sure he thinks that even now. Like, why did I do this? This seemed like such a good idea when I'm like, nitric, nitrous, what? And, you know, this is what we need, whatever. And to see that vindication come through in an opinion to say this case has a good prospect of success. You just think I'm onto something here. We're onto something here. You know, and it's something I wish for more people, more local groups, more campaigners to feel is that kind of I'm on the right lines because that years of campaigning and years of being knocked back and told that your issue isn't that important, that it's, you know, you're making a big deal about it. It's not that big a deal. It won't cause that much damage. Chill out can really tear away at someone's confidence. So having that vindication from someone who's also looked at it was fantastic. So then um, the next thing was to try and um, and get it going, get, you know, get it live. Aidan was so convinced that there was a case to answer in relation to the emissions test that he included another document for Laura, along with his legal opinion. He also drafted the letter that you need to send to a public body to let them know that you're unhappy with how they've made a certain decision and that if they don't rectify the problem, you intend to start legal proceedings. Aidan emailed those documents over to Laura and the month was February 2020. You can guess what happens next. Yeah, I mean, the case the case was all ready to go. We had issued our pre-action letter. In fact, Aidan had actually tacked it on to the end of the opinion, so convinced he was of like the case case's ability to move forward. Um, and it went out, and it was like this victorious, like, yo, pre-action's out. And then it was like, everything shut down, COVID hit, and it just didn't feel like the right time. It definitely wasn't the right time. And obviously, we can say that with hindsight, that we would come through it. But at the time, it was hugely terrifying for a lot of people. As we are all too painfully aware the world went into lockdown. In Northern Ireland, in the early months of the pandemic, COVID testing for healthcare workers was even being carried out in the very MOT centres we were talking about. Our priorities were all recalibrated. The case went into cold storage. But the indignation at the air quality failings never really went away. There were so many start-stop moments, for want of a better expression. It's quite vehicular, but um, all the way through the case. And I think that's litigation in general. But it was one of those cases that whenever you opened the file again, you were absolutely raging about it all again. You wanted to do something like it was just one of those emotive cases that you just think, you know, well, that's not going anywhere. I can, I can deal with that next week. And then you pick it up and you go, oh my God, as if they're doing that again, you know, when you get all raging again. And things reignited in 2023. You know, but uh, then we reissued our pre-action letter the end of 2022. The start of 2023, we were ready to go again. And it felt like everyone was really committed and renewed again. And it felt like a fantastic moment. The type of legal action that Friends of the Earth are taking against the Department for Infrastructure is called judicial review. Judicial review is a legal process in which a judge reviews the lawfulness of decisions and actions taken by a public body or a body exercising public functions. 
This could be a minister, a government department, a health trust or regulatory bodies. And there are a number of stages that you have to go through before a judge will review the decision. First, you have to write your pre-action letter to the public body. Aidan and Laura have done that. To be fair, comparatively to some judicial reviews that can be really paper heavy and, you know, you can have dozens of files put in. Ours was very succinct. Then you need to file the required paperwork with the court so they can examine it to see if they'll grant you permission to have the issue examined by a judge. Lodging this paperwork begins the formal legal proceedings. And, you know, we in our proceedings, like our, our leave proceedings, like we we had really front loaded the issue. First thing there was the department's admission. Yeah, I mean, pills and foe went down physically to the court <laughs> to lodge the proceedings. Friends of the Earth do that in March 2023. And this is when Laura's mind really starts racing. And after being out of the game for a while, for, you know, a year or two, compiling proceedings and taking them down to the court and making sure that everything was there, like paper files that, you know, the fee was paid, all that sort of stuff felt like, oh my goodness, I hope this is okay. In the next episode, an email reply arrives from the court office and Laura gets some life-changing news. Oh no, I have done something wrong. This is going to be really professionally embarrassing. I've forgotten to page number something or I haven't provided this vital piece that goes along with the leave application. Everybody's going to laugh at me and it's going to be awful. That's all coming up in episode two of Holding Our Breath.